If you've got your Bible, I want us to read some Bible together. Is that all right? And we're beginning a new series this morning, and we're going to start from the book of Luke. Uh, And we're looking at Luke chapter 16. And uh, what we're doing across the month of May, and uh, because of calendar changes, uh, some of June as well, uh, we've got a series called Money May, which is, uh, as you know, that's going to be ironic once we get to June and we're still doing Money May. Uh, But anyway, we like alliteration, those of us in the marketing team, uh, so we're sticking with Money May. And we're talking about money. And how many people know money is pretty powerful? pretty important. It affects so much of our life. And so I'm going to read this parable. And a parable is a story that Jesus told. And he didn't, um, the parable, sometimes people put parables in the same category as fables or fairy tales, uh, but they're a bit deeper and a bit more, they're a bit more powerful, a bit more direct than a fairy tale. Um, But they're stories that Jesus told to communicate truth. Uh, the truth of how God works, the truth of how we work, the truth of how the world works. And so we're going to have a look at this one, and we've got it on the screen if you want to read along there. Otherwise, I'm going to read it in my Bible, and uh, we'll go from there. Is that all right? It says this. uh, Luke chapter 16, and verse 1 I'm reading, and it says this. Jesus told this story to his disciples, right? There was a certain rich man who had a manager, or the old translations would say a steward, handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. How many of you know that's a bad day at work, right? When they tell you that you're going to be fired before the HR meeting, right? Come to the HR meeting because we're going to fire you. When you go to the meeting and the HR person's there and the lawyer is there as well, it's going to go badly. The meeting's going to go badly. I'm not speaking from experience, just from television shows, right? Uh, actually, my brother, they, my brother's boss tried to get him fired when he was at Coca-Cola. And uh, the boss got fired at the end of the meeting, uh, which was like, wow, that awesome, awesome day. Especially when you're my brother who doesn't like to talk. Uh, he had a powerful sister-in-law who came along who is the HR executive at Auckland University, and that was helped the whole process. Uh, anyway, the manager thought to himself, he's thinking, right? How many of you know, there's moments when your mind is focused, and when, that, when you're about to get fired, uh, your mind gets focused, and the manager thought, thinks to himself, and he says, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. Can I get an Amen. And I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person, each and every person who owed money to his employer, and he told them to to come and discuss the situation. So he asked the first one, he says, how much money do you owe? And the man replied, I owe him 80 gallons of olive oil. Sorry, let me read that again. 800 gallons of olive oil. A gallon is three and a half liters, right? So this is a huge amount of olive oil, right? At $10 a liter, right? Roughly $10 a liter for reasonable olive oil. That's a serious amount of money that this guy owes, right? So 8,000, anyhow, you can figure it out. You do, the, you do the math, right? 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the, take the bill quickly and change it to 400 gallons. And then he says to the next guy, and how much do you owe my employer? And he asked the next man, and I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. I've got no idea what a bushel is. I imagine it's a bushel, a bush. Uh, uh, 1,000, I I, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. And and, uh, his reply was, here, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And the rich man the rich man had to honor, had to admire this dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. He may still have got fired, but the, 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 the boss sort of admired him. And it's true. This is what Jesus is saying now. This is his Jesus statement. It's true. The children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than the children of light are. So Jesus tells this story about this crazy manager, and then he makes this statement, the children of this world are more shrewd than the children of light in dealing with the world around them. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others 
and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they, your friends, will welcome you into an eternal home. Verse 10, if you are faithful with little things, you'll be faithful in large things. And if you are dishonest in little things, you will be dishonest with greater responsibilities. Verse 11 says, And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? If you're unfaithful, it says in other translations, untrustworthy, unfaithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, who should, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Verse 14 is important. We'll just read this. It says, the Pharisees, that's the religious people of the day, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and they scoffed at Jesus. Right? There you go. The here endeth the reason. Let, the reading, let's pray. God, we just thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray that as we discuss it today, Lord God, as we've read it together, Lord, I pray that you would put something in our heart, Lord, that will grow. Lord, that we'd be the sort of people who can master money rather than the sort of people who are mastered by it. Lord, we pray that across this month, you'd make us more powerful. You'd make us more wise. Lord God, that you'd make us more faithful with the things you entrust to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, money makes the world go round. How many people have heard the saying? Money makes the world go round. If you think about it, there's not, there's not a more direct challenge to the sovereignty of Creator God than that one statement. Money makes the world go round. We say it. I've said it. Money makes the world go round. Money makes the world go around. I make a decision that's right or wrong or ugly or bad, but anyway, money makes the world go around. Something happens in the news media about a property developer or a politician who's crooked. Money is making the world go around. But in reality, God actually makes the world go around. God really made the world in the first place. He decided it would go round and around. When we say money makes the world go around, what we're referring to as the reality is that the situation that we're referencing is a situation where idolatry has grabbed the hearts of the people involved in such a way that money is now their supreme authority, their supreme power source, the thing they bow down to is money. When we say money makes the world go around, we're saying money is God. When we behave in a way that says money makes the world go around, we're operating in a dangerous sort of a place. You know, money will challenge the position of God in your heart in a way that few other things will. Money will challenge the sovereignty of God. Money will challenge the authority of God. Your love of money will challenge your devotion to God more than just about anything else will. You can be a pretty keen fisherman. You can be a, a passionate rugby supporter. Uh, you could be mad keen on cross-stitch. But none of those things will, will try and unseat God in the same way that money will. Yeah, the, the reason is money helps in a lot of ways. How many people know that money helps? Money helps. Okay, let's do, uh, let's do a quick quiz. Is that all right? A quick quiz. Um, uh, how many people here, uh, you, life would be better if you earned 20% more? So if, let's say you earned 50000 if you If you earned $60,000 a year, would life be better? Give me a wave. Life would be better if you have $10,000 more. Okay, show of hands. Was that, that was a few people, right? 20% more, life would be better. Those of you who earn nothing, let's imagine you earn 10000 instead of nothing. $10,000 more, life would be better. Give me a wave. Yeah. How many people, know, how many people think, uh, carrying on with our poll here, if you earned double what you earn right now. So if you're on 50000 if you earned 100000 life would be better. Give me a show of hands, show of hands. Like people, everyone knows that Jordan's about to trick us with something, right? He's about to make us feel really guilty for putting our hands up, right? Now, the reality is this. Something in us grabs our heart every time we see the big Wednesday ad. Hey, 
It grabs our heart. Wouldn't it be awesome to drive that car? To have that holiday. Do you know, where did Big, Big Wednesday as an idea come from? The lotto sales are dipping. Lotto sales dip because people can't translate the money into a feeling quite the same way they used to. Oh, let's paint the picture a bit better. So instead of giving people money, let's give them a batch. It's always going to be a batch, a boat, and a car. Because that's the, you know, America has this American dream. New Zealanders have the New Zealand dream. A BMW, a boat, and a batch. It's not the A dream, it's the B dream, right? Now, the, the reality is something grips our heart because somewhere inside of us, we have this desire for comfort, for luxury, and for security, and money seems to be able to do all of this. Jesus said this about money, where your treasure is, the things that you treasure, where you put value, your heart goes there as well. Right? Uh, he said, money, he said this about money. He said, money is powerful enough. Money is powerful enough. Probably, I, don't, I haven't done a huge, of, of all the things Jesus said, there's really only a couple of things that were powerful enough to keep someone out of heaven. He said, it's harder for a camel, it's, it's easier, sorry, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, okay, which is this, is, this is vernacular for it's impossible. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Unfortunately for you, if you're in this room living in New Zealand, you qualify as a rich person. It's impossible, it's, it's, it's impossible for a rich person to get into heaven. You're rich. Jesus said it's impossible for you to get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not just getting to heaven when you die. That's about experience. Sorry, I'm going to unload all my pockets. and Here we go. That's all right. Now, anyhow, is it a little bit sobering to think a rich person, because you, you're on the top 2% of earners in the world, right? And if you, basically, if you live in New Zealand, you're rich. Then the disciples say, whoa, how can anyone be saved? Some of them were rich, right? They were freaking out. How can anyone be saved? And Jesus says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So we need a miracle. If we're going to experience God, that's what, into the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to experience God, if we're going to walk into the promised land God's got for us, if we're going to live in our destiny, we need a miracle from God because we're rich. It's impossible for us to experience God other than God doing a miracle in us and walking in us. And money is this powerful thing, right? Jesus talked a lot about money because money is directly connected with our heart. Jesus doesn't care about money. He cares about our, our heart. He cares about who we are, right? And money is a, a, a thing that grabs us and, um, and, and controls us in such a powerful way. Now, when Jesus was on earth, if you read through the Gospels, um, he didn't do a lot of entertaining chit-chat. There's not a lot of what's recorded that Jesus said that would have had people rolling, with laugh, rolling in the aisles with laughter, right? There's very few things that, that Jesus said that would have made people go, oh. A lot, so much of what Jesus said just looks crazy once you put it on a poster with a sunset background. You know, you leave that to the Psalms and a bit of Isaiah. Not all of Isaiah, just a bit of Isaiah, right? But a lot of what Jesus said was pretty full on, right? Um, you, know, this, you, know, you know, let the little children come to me. But apart from that, it's pretty tough, uh, you know. Uh, so much of what Jesus said was provoking, challenging, insulting, uh, and, and he got under the skin of the people he was talking to. And in this situation, it seems like he's doing it deliberately, He's talking to a whole bunch of Pharisees who are all really rich, and he, he talks to a whole lot of rich people, and he, in the middle of it, he, he, he revolves around this one thing, and he says, the children of light, who they all thought they were, and that's who we all think we are, right? Children of light, are stupid. Uh, it's not exactly what he said, right? He said that the children of the world are shrewder than the children of light. But if you, if you iron it out, and uh, if you distill it a little bit, what he says is, we're stupid when it comes to money. Um, how many, you know, we could do another uh, a show of hands, but 
maybe we don't need to. How many people uh, in, in, the la- in, in this year, since the start of the year, the, the, in the last three or four months, right? Um, how many people have deliberately gone out of their way to engage in learning something new? Uh, how, how many people have enrolled in a language course? Or, uh, man, there's heaps of hands, right? How many people have en- uh, de- uh, developed a new hobby, reached out to some new friends, people you've ne- you don't know before? What's your new hobby, Alistair? I'm interested. Squash. It's not really a hobby. I was thinking more like um, needlecraft. I imagined you doing a bit of needlecraft, you and Emily. Now that you're married, it's, what do you do now you're married? Well, now we're married, we can do needlecraft together. <laughs> it's one of the joys of marriage, Tim. Whole new world of needlecraft opens up. Anyhow, do you know, for me though, I, I don't play golf, I don't speak Spanish. I don't know how to cross-stitch. It's coming up a lot today for some reason. I can't, I can't eschimo roll a canoe. I can't do that. Um, I have no knowledge of mathematics beyond year 12. Um, I don't know the names of all my neighbours. But I could have. I, I, I had the opportunity to learn to play golf. I had the opportunity to eschimo roll a canoe. I, I have the opportunity every day to know the na- names of my neighbours. But I, but I don't. Uh, the, the reason being that from three years old or two and a half years old onwards, my life has been conditioned by a powerful thing. Uh, since I've been about two and a half or three years old, and since you've been about two and a half or three years old, in every social interaction you've had, one of your driving mechanisms has been, don't look stupid, don't look stupid, don't look stupid, don't look stupid. Don't admit that you're stupid. Don't admit you don't know. Most of you would be twice as smart as you are now if you'd asked the questions that you should have asked when you were in school. And you, instead, you sat there looking at a diagram that made no sense to you at all, no sense to anyone else in the class, and let's be honest, very little sense to the teacher who'd just drawn it on the board, right? But nobody puts their hand up, right? Because no one wants to look stupid in front of the class. The teacher doesn't want anyone to put their hand up either because the teacher doesn't want to look stupid. Can I get an amen from some of the teachers, right? I'm going to draw this on the board and I'm just going to pray nobody asks what the heck that is a picture of, right? If anyone asks what this word means, I'm going to look stupid, right? But the problem is, unless we can acknowledge the fact that we are stupid, not that we look stupid, that we are stupid, we're never going to learn anything. We'll never be able to Eskimo roll a canoe, and we'll never master money unless we understand the fact that we are not shrewd. Unless you come to terms with the fact that actually you're not doing money right, maybe you're not doing money right. Could I suggest to you, maybe you actually are stupid with your money. Well, I'm not stupid. I'm very sensible with my money. Well, I'm not talking about being sensible in the world's way of being sensible. I'm talking about being smart like this guy. This guy was smart. He used somebody else's money. It wasn't even his money. This guy's smart. He used somebody else's money to make sure that he had friends on the other side of his biggest problem, which is he's about to get fired. He's about to go from being a wealthy manager. He's about to get fired. He's going to be in a position where no more opportunities will exist. He lives in a culture where you get fired from one management job. You can't just go to the next one. Same as our culture, right? (laughs) He's about to be in trouble, and he uses somebody else's money to make something happen, right? Dummies. We're mastering money. Step number one in mastering money is to understand that we're stupid, right? Who would like to master money? Yeah, heck yes, right? I'd like to master money. To have mastery, this is what mastery means. Mastery means to have a comprehensive skill or a knowledge in a subject, right? Comprehensive skill with money, knowledge about money, rather than just listening to the radio news and going, Wondering what they mean when they say, you know, the share price is up or down, right? Some knowledge would be, yeah, be interesting at least, right? Um, but it also means uh, it also means mastery is not just comprehensive skill or knowledge. And I've left this out of my notes, but if I I have a memory, which lucky, it also means to have control over. How many people like to have control over money, right? That'd be a whole good thing as well, right? Um, it gets tricky, though, when, when we ask the question or we think about it, why do you want mastery over money? 
Why do you want some comprehensive skill and knowledge? Why do you want to be able to control money? Because the why is actually where it all really matters. Because to have skill, to have knowledge, or to have control over, uh, it's only going to reveal the nature and the intents of your heart. Because really, a lot of us want to have mastery over money. We want control over money because we want to use money to make ourselves feel secure. Well, I really want to, I need to learn how to be good with money so I can, I need to manage my money well. A lot of people, this is their motivation. I need to manage my money well so that I can put 10% away each time I get paid so that when I retire, I'm in a financially secure position. Now, there's nothing wrong with the, the, the financial logic, but the stupidity of it, the lack of shrewdness of it, is that it's not going to make you secure. It's just going to be money. Because it's just money. It can't make you feel secure. A lot of other people say, I, need to, I want to be able to control money. I want to be able to save money so that I can go on a wild holiday and travel all around the world and, 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 and have excitement and adventure and joy and happiness. Other people want a lot of money so they can attract a really beautiful girlfriend. If I drive this sort of car, I can have a great girlfriend. Right? My Toyota Corolla in 1972, it did the job. But here's the reality. Money can't make you secure. The richest people in the world are not the most secure people in the world. Money can't make you happy. Did you know that depression doesn't exist other than in wealthy countries? Doesn't exist as a psychological disorder in anything like the same numbers. Why? Well, money makes you happy. It clearly doesn't. In fact, if you look at the evidence, money makes you sad. Money makes you sad, money makes you depressed, money makes you feel insecure. Do you know, for the large part, the more money you save, the more insecure you will feel about interest rates and bank failure. If you've got no money saved, do you know what? You don't care about interest rates. Right? The, the issue is this. We want mastery over money. Sometimes we want mastery over money because we want it to do things that really matter. See, money's good for things you need, and it's good for things you want. But it's no good for things you really need and the things you really want. When you use money for things you need and the things you want, it's good. You pay money for this and you get the thing you need. You pay money for that and you get the thing you want. But when you're trying to use money to get the thing you really need and the thing you really want, then you're in trouble because what you're doing is you think money can help you with the reallys. Oh, really? No, really, the reallys are only things God can help you with. Only God can make you really happy. Only God can make you really secure. Only God can make you really live a life of adventure and joy and happiness. Only God can meet those really, really real needs, right? In the middle, Jesus says this funny thing uh, at verse 10 to 12. He makes these three statements. If we're going to have mastery over money, it can't be about just getting what we want getting what we need, being powerful. It's got to be, there's got to be a wider sort of a context. And uh, Jesus makes these three statements. Have a look at them. Verse 10, he says this. If you are faithful, everyone say faithful. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large things. Uh, if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with what? With greater responsibilities. Uh, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, uh, who is going to trust you? Who will trust you with the true riches? And then the third thing he says is, if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? Um, so true riches, these, these, uh, these, the true riches of heaven, these are the reallys, the really needs and the really wants, the true riches of heaven, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the true riches, the really needs, these are based on how we live. Not based on how powerful we are with money. They're based on something else. They're based on our ability to manage things, to think about things, the way we think about things. So the first thing Jesus says is, um, however you deal with little things, will it be exactly the same as the way you deal with big things, Right? So if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in big things. If you're dishonest in little things, you'll be dishonest with bigger responsibility, right? So it makes sort of sense, right? 
Uh, and the more powerful you are, uh, it's a bit more powerful than you realize, though, because um, we all want big things, don't we? Yeah, but you want, a, you want big things, right? The doll's house is awesome, but wouldn't it be, wouldn't be awesome to own an actual house, right? We want, we want big things, right? When, when you think about, you go to university and, and, and you want a career, right? You want a big thing, a career. A job is okay, but it wouldn't it be better to have a career? Like we want a big thing, right? Um, and so we go to university to do that. We want these big things, right? Um, often, for our own safety, God is keeping them from us. If I go to university and I get good grades, I'll be able to write a really good CV, which then I'll get a uh, what? This amazing thing I hear about all our life, a good job. What a goal, though. I have a good job. Right? Why do you get a good job? How do you get a good job? A big thing, a career? You go, you do, you have to, obviously, this is all taught to fourth formers, right? Okay, it's a waste of time, year 10. You've got to pay attention for year 10, but there's no exams. Oh, you got to, you got to do well in school, Jennifer, so you can, otherwise you can't go to university. And if you can't go to university, then you can't get a good CV and you won't get a good job. And that's what you need, Jennifer. You're, you're t- you need a good job, right? Now, really, it's not that inspiring a dream, is it? Right? But look at the process. You work hard, you do the right things, right? And, and, you, and you work hard and then you get the next thing, right? Now, that's, what, that's what's going on. But Jesus says it's about what happens is that however you operate in those little spaces, is going to be how you operate in the big space. So God restricts us from the big space until we can learn how to deal with the little space. Now, it's the f- most frustrating thing out. We can't just manipulate it by just working hard and making it happen. We've we actually got to deal with the attitude on the inside of us. Have you ever tried to be really diligent with something that you're not particularly diligent with? Oh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be really diligent about X, Y, and Z. How many people have ever tried to do that? I'm going to be really diligent about it. Do you know, it's really almost impossible to make yourself do something you don't care about. Right? You can do it for a little bit because if someone's checking up on you, or you can do it, I'm going to be real diligent about my Bible reading, or I'm going to be real diligent about my getting the washing done. I'm going to be, oh, we're going to be real diligent about the dishes. How many of you have, these are pretty common problems, right? But if you just don't care, it only can last a week and a half. And the big life we're reaching out to doesn't get released to us until we're safe enough to live in it. And that happens when we care about stuff, when something's happened and transitioned in our heart, right? So it's about what's going on in our heart, right? It's not about just getting into university. It's about what's going on in our heart in the process, okay? The third thing Jesus says is this. It's a simple truth as well. He says, if you're not faithful with other people's things, you won't be entrusted with any of your own. Well, I wish I had a nice car like Jordan. It's not fair. If I had a 1972 Corolla, I'd have a nice girlfriend as well. We want, we want stuff. How many people want stuff? How do you get stuff? You're faithful with other people's stuff. Well, I, I get stuff by, by, by earning it and making it happen. Well, you sort of, you sort of you do. But it's not what Jesus says. It's, it's you are entrusted with stuff. Have you got a nice car? Well, someone entrusted that to you. Well, no, I went out and bought it. Well, you're thinking about the world wrong because you're stupid. If shrewd people understand that, 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 that people who have stuff are entrusted with it. Oh, but no, it's my car. Well, you've missed the point. You've missed the point. It's not your car. You were entrusted with it. Well, it's, it's my car. I can do what I want with it. No, you were entrusted with it. And because you keep doing what you want with it, God's not going to entrust you with a better one. Why would God entrust you with someone? No one's going to entrust you with a thing of your own if you can't look after the thing that belongs to somebody else, right? Borrowed anything off anyone lately? Or a year ago? 
I, I know lots of people who just will never lend anything out because of the amount of times things haven't come back. I'm not like that because I can't remember. If, I, if you borrowed anything off me, don't worry, I don't remember. <laughs> really, I really don't remember. People have returned things to me. I'm like, I never knew I owned this. But maybe I need to be a bit more faithful with small things. Um, okay, we've got to get faithful with other people's stuff mastered, right? Okay, now I've left the middle one to last because it's pretty important. Jesus says this, the, the middle statement Jesus makes like the key one. It's the meat in the sandwich because the whole thing's been about money and then he talks about little things and then he talks about stuff. And he says this, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven. So it's real simple. If we're trustworthy with money, God trusts us with realies. If we try and use money to buy the realies, we're in trouble. But if we're trustworthy with money, we get the realies, the joyful, the, the, the adventure life, the, the relationship depth, right? We get the riches of heaven. We get things like grace, salvation, forgiveness, healing. These things are entrusted to us from heaven when we are what? Trustworthy with what? Worldly wealth. Small things, worldly wealth, other people's things. They'll put, eat it as a sandwich. Money is a small thing that belongs to God. That's the sandwich. It's not that important. Why? Because money becomes a really big thing. But it's a small thing. We've got to keep it small. We've got to keep remembering it belongs to God. And it's worldly. It's, it's not. When, it, when the Bible says worldly, it means it's temporary. It, it's physical. It's practical. Right? But if we can be faithful with this temporary practical thing, it's got a connection through to these invisible realies. These real, really needs, these really wants that can make our life come alive, right? So pretty simple. That's the whole message. Let's be faithful with little things, money, and things that belong to God. But because we have time, let's carry on with the rest of the message. Let's talk about what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be trustworthy? Because we've got this crazy story about this manager, this shrewd manager, who seems to be doing unfaithful and untrustworthy things with other people's stuff, right? And, uh, we've got a definition of faithful. Jack is going to throw it up for us. Have a look at this. Um, faithfulness, Jack, faithfulness. Sorry, there's no way of hiding that. Okay, we can all extend grace to Jack. Uh, I'm going to read on here. This it says, a steadfast in affection or allegiance. Loyal. Right? Steadfast in affection or allegiance. So faithfulness, if we're going to be faithful, it's about being steadfast in, effective, in affection and in allegiance. Think about it. Small things, money, other people's stuff. You've got to be steadfast in your affection. And you've got to be steadfast in your allegiance. I borrowed someone's lawn mother. Lawn mother. <laughs> a lawn mother. We pray to the lawn mother for the growth of the grass. Now, a if you borrow someone's lawn mower, if you borrow someone's lawn mower, how do you do that? How do you do steadfast in your affections? When you've got $20 burning a hole in your pocket and you've got to be faithful with unrighteous money, how do you do steadfast in your affections and your allegiance with that $20? It doesn't seem to really work with money or stuff you borrowed or small things. What about the next one? Firm in adherence to promises or an observance of duty. It's about being conscientious. Conscientious, we use the word conscientious to just mean uh, they're diligent, but it's not the same as diligent. It's about doing the right thing in terms of what your conscience says, what you believe is true and right. 
with strong assurance and binding. What about this one? This is my favorite one. Think about money. Think about small things. Think about this shrewd manager. We've got to be true to the facts or true to a standard or true to an original, like a faithful copy, right? Like of a document. A faithful copy of a document is a document that the copy is exactly the same as the original, which makes more sense in the ancient world where they're writing things out by hand, making a faithful copy, right? It makes you wonder, how do you do this with money? How do you do all that with money? Faithful, how do you be faithful with money? It's a little bit different to being, it's not about, it's not about being diligent with money. It's not about being careful, because some of you are thinking, faithful with money must be about being careful with money. But that's not careful. There's a whole lot more heart and passion in this word faithfulness than there is in the word carefulness. Right? How many people can get excited about being careful with money? Only the people with Scottish heritage. Everyone else wants to be reckless with money. I've got much more drive in me to be wild with money. I'd far rather have a party. Why? Because that's where my affection and my allegiance lies. But perhaps I could be reckless with my money and be far more faithful than the man down the road who's being careful with his money. Maybe careful and faithful are sometimes opposite. Maybe not all the time, but maybe sometimes they're opposite. This shrewd manager who Jesus tells about was mad with money. He was mad with someone else's money. With hundreds and thousands of dollars of other people's money, he's been mad with it. Why? Because his affections and his allegiance were to himself. I have to do whatever it takes with this money to position myself for my future. See, sometimes we're being careful, but it's, the issue is where is our affections and our allegiance? Sometimes we're being a true copy, but we're marking off the wrong original. Simple enough. Okay, we're, this is the Bible. Welcome to the Bible, everyone. Context is everything. Do you know this passage of the Bible, and the, particularly those little teachy verses at the end, you know, faithful with money, really rah, you can't serve God and money, they always get pulled and, and preached out. Rah, rah, you can't serve God and money, you'll love one and hate the other. How many of you have heard that? Heaps of times, right? And it's fantastic on its own, but when you put it into context, it's freaky. This shrewd manager story, if you take that shrewd manager story, this guy rips off his boss, and the boss is like, yeah, you're onto it. It's bizarre. I was talking to Mike before the service. He's like, I've read that all the time. It's like, what? Are we supposed to do that? If you work in credit control, don't do that and then say my pastor told me to do it. Don't, it's not, you're not going to, yeah, you will get fired, right? Okay, this context of this, this little parable, Jesus is telling a whole bunch of parables in a row. And, he, and, and these whole parables in a row, uh, he's telling them into a specific scenario. Right? So if you, if you think about it, um, you know, all these verses are awesome and they're great to pull out and they're good to think about, but the context of an ancient text is really important, right? So the chapter before is Luke chapter 15, because this is 16 to the one before 15, that's how numbers work. But Luke chapter 15, what's Luke chapter 15? Starts off like this. There was a, a shepherd, had 100 sheep. He lost one. And he left the 99, not very careful, and he went looking for the one, passionately faithful. There was a woman who lost a single coin, right? And she turned her whole house upside down. Why? Because this is the coin it was like losing her wedding ring, this coin. She turns her whole house upside down. Why? Because there's a, there's a relational passion with faithfulness. Right? And then there's a father who lost a son who waits and waits and waits and the son returns. That's a powerful, that's three powerful, powerful proverbs, parables, right? And the fourth one in the row was this one about the shrewd manager. Lost son, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, shrewd manager. Then Jesus says, come on, what are you doing with your money? You're stupid with money. You're not, you're not shrewd. You're not smart with your money. 
lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, shrewd manager. You're about to be fired. Let me tell you, you're about to be fired. Any day you get fired. You'll get fired any day. Your job as a human being alive on earth, it will be over one day. What are you doing between now and when your job finishes to position yourself for when you don't have a job on earth anymore? Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Are you shrewd? Are you working it to position yourself in eternity? Are you going to be on lonely, lonely street? A lot of money in the bank at Westpac, all your kids dividing it up. Are you living by yourself in a cul-de-sac all alone? Here's the reality. Jesus is talking here about the gospel. He's not just talking about money. He's talking about what are we doing here and now about eternity. Come on, the, the people of this world, they focus their money directly on the things that mean the most to them. This shrewd manager, what's he doing? He's taking every risk in the book to look after himself in the next space he's going to to make sure that he's got friends once his job's over. That's smart. Now, we have a different thing to be faithful to, don't we? We have a different copy, but we've got to be just as smart at copying the original. We've got to be just as passionate about the things that really matter. We've got to be just as focused on what God's really on about. What's God really on about? Well, Jesus told this story for a specific reason. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 is the key to the whole thing. There's a context, there's a a social environment Jesus is in. And Jesus responds to it by going, there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son. And then he says, there's a shrewd manager. And then he goes on and tells another story parable number five in this same segment is about this rich guy and this poor person, Lazarus. And they both die, and one of them's in heaven, and one of them's in hell, and Lazarus, Lazarus is in heaven, he, the, the poor guy's in heaven, and the rich guy's in hell, and he's talking to Father Abraham. It gets confusing, right? Uh, he's talking to Father Abraham in hell, and he says, oh, please go back. Can someone, can, let me go back from the dead to warn my brothers to tell them to live differently. Because when he was alive, he had everything he wanted. He looked after all of his own needs and he ignored this poor person every single day. And now he says to Father Abraham, Father Abraham, let me come back from the dead to tell my brother, live differently while you're alive because of what happens on the other side. Hey, if we're gonna master money, we've gotta understand it's about what happens on the other side. It's not about here and now. Because there's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son, and then there's this whole Lazarus and Father Abraham. And Father Abraham says to Lazarus, now, he's got Moses. Your brothers can read Moses. They don't need. He says, no, if someone went back from the dead, if someone rose from the dead and warned them to live differently, and Father Abraham said, if they don't believe Moses, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. Come on, there's this way of living our life. There's this faithful pattern. Come on, if we're faithful, what does that mean? That means that we're a, we're a faithful copy of this original. We're, 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 we're steadfast in our allegiance and in our passion. What to? To Jesus. To His kingdom purposes. For this reason, the Son of Man has come into the world. To seek and save that which is lost. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says, The whole crowd of Pharisees gathered. And, they, and they were, there's Jesus there. And it says that Jesus was hanging out with all of the wrong people. He's sitting down, he's eating a meal. It says that he's sitting with tax collectors. And it says in some translations, it says, Notorious sinners. So not just sinners like you and me, people who've got a reputation for being real good at it. Notorious sinners, right? The religious people were angry. 
Why is he hanging around? Why is he, why is he spending his time and his energy? And we can only guess that Jesus must have been picking up the bill as well. Why is Jesus eating with, relating with all of these people who are so far away from God? Jesus was faithful in small things. He was careful with who he had dinner with. He's having dinner with people who need him. He's, he's spending time with people who, who are lost. He's faithful with someone else's things. He's faithfully pursuing someone else's lost sheep, someone else's lost coin, and he's reaching out to his father's lost sons. At 30 years old, Jesus is focused on lost people. Every one of his contemporaries at 30 years old, because we know the disciples were mostly younger than him, all of the Jewish boys he went to school with would have been building their houses, building their businesses, just the same as everybody now is, focusing on temporary things. We've got to make money work for us, helping us to become a faithful copy so that we are entrusted with true riches. It's all about context. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? Uh, Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here and we thank you that you're our teacher. And Lord, we just love this, the way Scripture, the way your Word, God, it challenges our, our viewpoints. It challenges our culture. It challenges some things our parents said. It challenges some truth that we thought was dead true. Lord, it's our desire as individuals. It's our desire as a church family, as your people, to be faithful to be steadfast in our allegiance to you, to be steadfast in our commitment to you, to be bound to the purposes that you're bound to, Lord God, to be faithful copies of who you are. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. What are the small things we've got to get a hold of? What are the small things that we need to adjust? Lord God, what are the the things of yours, the things that you own, the things that belong to you, Lord God, that we need to be faithful in? Lord God, And how do we need to adjust the way we deal with money? Lord, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to each and every one of us. Just while you're sitting with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, perhaps you're here and you don't know what it is to experience the saving love of Jesus Christ. As a church, our, our primary focus is to declare the truth of who Jesus is. And the truth is that, that, that every person, every human being on earth is distant from God because of sin. Because of the mistakes we make as individuals, but, but also because of the sinfulness of humanity. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die in our place. So that anyone who believes in God, anyone who believes in Jesus won't perish. We don't have to suffer in hell. We don't have to die forever. But we can live eternal lives because of God's love for us and because of Jesus' sacrifice in our place. The Bible teaches that He, that, that, that he took upon Himself all of our sin and He gives to us His righteousness, His righteous life, His right life. So perhaps here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you haven't decided to make Him the Lord of your life. Come on, could I encourage you to do that this morning if you've never made that decision? Or perhaps you're here and you're, you're far away from God. Maybe you used to be close to Him, but now you're a long way from Him. Could I, could I challenge you this morning? Why don't you recommit? Why don't you rededicate your life to God? While everyone has their heads bowed and their eyes closed, in a moment I'm going to lead us all in a prayer. But before we pray together, inviting Jesus to forgive us our sin, inviting Him to be Lord of our life. If you're praying this prayer, either for the first time or as a recommitment of your life, why don't you, while everyone else has got their heads bowed, their eyes closed, why don't you just shoot your hand up and say, yeah, that's me. I'm wanting to respond to Jesus today. We love to create this opportunity in all of our services because we believe this is the central part of who we are as a church, giving people this opportunity to reconnect with a God who loves them. If that's you, just give me a quick wave. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it back down. I'm not wanting to embarrass anyone. I just want to know who's praying this prayer with us today. 
Cool, I haven't seen anybody's hand. If you, if that's, if you want to make this decision, just make it real clear for me, and then we're going to pray. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, could we stand together, church? Are we going to, I'm going to finish with a song of praise. We didn't do it last week because uh, we talked too long. Uh, but we're going to finish with a song of praise. How many people are glad the heaters are working? Not working, not working well enough for Chrissy, but <laughs> it's not working. They're, they're working better than they were last week. I think the one there, the middle one's not as good as the ones on the side, the invisible ones. Um, I don't know about you, but preparing this message, I found deeply challenging. I've thought about this passage completely wrong. Every time I've read about being trustworthy with money, I've read this. If you're careful with money, then that's not what it says. If we're trustworthy, are we you, are we using our money? Come on, it's your money. Or it's someone else's money. It's God's money. Are you using it for what Jesus would use it for? Is it, are you? Now, come on, I'm not saying, what I'm, this is what I'm not saying. Jesus is not careful with money. Let's be stupid. No, it's not what I'm saying. Here's a good question. I this week's pay packet, where's it going? What are you using it for? Is it all being expended upon yourself? Or is it about, is some of it being used? Or, or what, you know, it's a challenging thought. It's a challenging thought. Is it being used for the purposes of God? And you know what? We could all, each and every one of us, you don't need to be a Christian forever. You don't need to be super smart. We can all sit down with the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, how do we want me to do this? Show me what to do. And as a church, we don't like to tell people what to do. Well, I love telling people what to do personally. But we don't want to make rules. Because as soon as you have rules about anything, you don't get to listen. No one gets to listen to the Holy Spirit. We all just follow rules. Right? And the Holy Spirit doesn't bother coming to church once we just focus on the rules. Right? He's like, well, they're not listening to me. So you can leave, it, leave, them, leave them to their list of rules. Right? We're not doing rules around money. We're not doing rules around serving. We're not doing rules around dancing. Although if there's someone doing dance, let's dance. Right? Anyway, we're not doing rules. What we're doing is, hey, let's follow the Holy Spirit. And so why don't you lift your hands if you say, Holy Spirit, if you're saying with me, hey, I need to, if you're prepared to me, like I, when I was preparing this, I said to myself, I'm dumb. I'm not, I don't understand this. I need to understand God a whole lot different than money. If you're saying, God, speak to me about money, speak to me about how to be faithful with it, how to be trustworthy with it. Just lift your hands and let's pray together. Why don't you begin to pray yourself? I'm going to pray prophetically, but we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Let's acknowledge our need of Him. Holy Spirit, Lord, we want it. We really, really want to be the sort of church that You entrust with true riches. We really want to be the sort of people, Lord God, who receive miracles from heaven. We really want to be the sort of people who see revival released in our city. We really want to be the sort of people who live with love, with joy, with peace, with patience. We really want to be the sort of people who carry vision for the future, who change society, who shake things up. Lord God, we want to be people who are prophetic and profound. Lord God, we want to be the people you've called us to be. And Lord, we need you to teach us. Lord, we, Lord make us shrewd, Lord God. Help us to be faithful, help us to be trustworthy, help us to be reliable copies of you, Lord Jesus, that the way we live, Lord God, would reflect you into our worlds, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen. Uh, we're going to praise God one more time, and then now uh, we